Let's pray together and then turn to the reading of God's word and let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and the strength that is to us. In your word, you often call us to be people who remember, um, people who remember the things that you have said, the things that you have done, the things that you have warned and promised, uh, comforted us with and encouraged us in. Lord, we ask, um, because we are a forgetful people, that you would remind us again of who you are, of your great power, of your great strength, of judgment, of salvation, of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage tonight is from Ezekiel 38 through 39. Um, what I'm going to do is have you remain standing, and we're going to read from Revelation first, and I'll have you sit down, and then I'll read uh, these other uh, two chapters after a little bit of an introduction. So first, Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 6. Revelation 20, 6 through 15. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done." Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. You may be seated. I wanted to begin with reading from Revelation um, because we have a, another picture there in the New Testament of what we have here in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, which is where this reference to Gog and Magog comes from. In Ezekiel 38 and, th- and 39, we have another picture Uh, in slightly different form, of this great last battle, this mighty battle in which the um, 
armies of the devil and the world come and seek to destroy the Lord's anointed ones, to destroy his people. But ultimately, we see it is completely unsuccessful. Despite coming from all the corners of the earth, despite this grand coalition, uh, this great evil empire, they come against uh, the Lord's uh, anointed people, against the Lord ultimately, and they are consumed by fire from heaven and destroyed and sent into hell forever and ever to be tormented there under the judgment of the Lord. Nothing will come against his people. And that is the message here in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, put in the particular context of uh, Israel's redemption and being brought back into the land. Um, Let me explain a little bit more and then we'll read. You remember that Ezekiel is a prophet who is speaking um, to Israel right on the border of their a punishment for their sin. They had disobeyed the law of God. They had come under its curses, and so they were going, as Ezekiel prophesied and many others, to be cast out of the land. And in Ezekiel, we read about that happening, runners coming to him, visions in which he sees the destruction of Jerusalem. But there are these promises that come that we have read in recent chapters where God says, after all of this, for the, uh, so that the world and Israel would know his name, he was going to bring back his people out of these peoples and was go- out of the peoples and would again establish them in the land. But there's this question, what happens next, right? Is Israel vulnerable to attack again from some other people from some other place? Are they vulnerable, perhaps uh, even uh, to their own uh, sinful tendencies? And uh, will they fall again? And what God promises here in in these old covenant and shadowy ways is that no, in changing them, in redeeming them, in bringing them back, and in rescuing them, he is going to establish a people under a new covenant, under a better covenant, with his spirit poured out on them in which they will be forever, in which they will be, uh, we've read this before, uh, one, a son of David, remember, would be established over them to reign as a king uh, forever. Well, to prove and show that point, God uh, speaks about this great last battle in which Gog, a kind of commander-in-chief and ruler over this coalition from all the cardinal directions, comes and commands and seeks to destroy Israel. The calculation there is that Israel is sitting ducks or sheep, doing well, fat and happy, rich, uh, but unprotected unprotected from the massive force of the world. And so it will come and persecute God's people. It will destroy them, but it miscalculates greatly. Gog and his allies miscalculate greatly because they are not ultimately fighting against a flock of sheep, but against the shepherd. And the shepherd annihilates them. 
And that's this great last battle, this, this battle that uh, is, um, has um, all kinds of resonances in books and culture and in our own lives in a way, right? These moments in which we feel like everything is about to fall apart and then the Lord comes and rescues. That's what we have in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So let's give our attention to this now in God's word, Ezekiel 38 and 39. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you out. And all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth, Torgamah, from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be on guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm, You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages and I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder or to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, and the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, God, My wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. 
the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him. Torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord." And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears. And they will make fires of them for seven years so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any out of the forests, for they will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers east of the sea. It will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the Valley of Hamangog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. At the end of the seven months, they will make their search, and when these travel through the land, anyone who sees a human bone then shall set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Hamanoah is also the name of the city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh, and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of the he-goats, of bulls, all of the, them fat beasts of Bashan. 
And you shall eat fat till you are filled and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their transgressions or their uncleanness and their transgressions and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Amen. There's much to say and much to observe. I won't try to cover it all. But I hope you feel in reading the whole, the weight of it, the preeminence of God, his power, his strength, his unrelenting purposes. So many people choose not to think of God at all or try not to think of him. They deny him, they mock him, they scoff him, scoff at him. They scoff at his people and those who would confess his name, those who would live for him, those who would die for him. They see the things of this world, whether it's the created things like animals and beasts and creeping things, or the things that they make with their own hands, their idols and smartphones and various enterprises. They see these things as the things that will ultimately last, the things that are worth fighting for, serving, dying for. But they aren't. They simply aren't. The one who made the world, the one who owns all the world, the one who will come in glory at the last day and judge the world, he is the one that we must love. He is the one we must fear and serve and worship above anything else, above anyone else. It was because Israel forgot this, it was because Israel denied this, that she was cast into exile, that she was um, attacked by her enemies. And there was a time when God sent people against them to judge them. But not this time. This time, when, uh, when he allows Gog and all of the allies that he assembles to have exactly what they want, the destruction of this people, when he allows them to rather go after uh, what they want, what they want, it will not be for Israel's judgment, 
It will be for her salvation and the declaration to Israel herself and to all the world that God is supreme, that God is in control, and that nothing will break apart the bonds between the Lord and his anointed one and his anointed ones. This reassurance that we have at the end of chapter 39 is ultimately the point of this passage. God is giving, he is reassuring Israel and he is reassuring us that one day, that according to his spirit, when, we, when he brings to us our salvation, these marvelous things happen. He restores their fortunes when he has mercy on us. Listen to verse 26 of 39, chapter 39. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in the land. All of us have done things that we are ashamed of, things that haunt us, things that control us, things that remind us of the things that we have done against the Lord. They bring us sorrow and sadness. In the Lord, we are allowed to begin to forget them. In the Lord, we are allowed to not sweep them under the rug, but, but trust his promise more than the accusation, to trust his merits even more than our sins, and to believe that his salvation is true. So when the devil whispers in our ears, you are guilty, guilty as sin, guilty as hell, and worthy of, these, worthy of it, we say, what of it? Fair enough, but my hope is not in my righteousness. My hope is in the Lord, in him, in his name, in his works. And so I let go of my shame. I am not, I am not um, plagued by the treachery that I have done against the Lord, not because it wasn't evil, not because it wasn't terrible and rebellious and worthy of death itself, but because I have been forgiven. That's the word I believe. That's the word I trust. So come at me. Bring what you want. Persecute, kill, martyr, shed blood. Nothing can hurt me. Not ultimately. Not in the end. Not in that great last battle. There are many scriptures that testify to this, um, I've been quoting and will probably continue to quote Psalm 2. Right? The nations gather together, they, they whisper, they take these secret, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, they take these secret counsels and you hear this murmuring, planning, plotting. How will we break apart the bonds between the Lord and his anointed? The Lord says, you won't. <laughs> I laugh at you, I mock you, I hold you in derision, I will shatter you like taking a, a rod of iron to a pot. You are no match for me, says the Lord. Plot all you will, do all you want, nothing can stand against me, nothing can break apart the bonds between me and my people as much as nothing can break apart between the Father and the Son. Ultimately, the Lord's anointed one, the Messiah, Christ, was the very Son of God. 
this promised king of David, this one who would come and accomplish all of these things and rule from this great throne, was no one less than the Son of God himself. The eternal word of God who has no beginning and no end. It's he who came into this world and took on flesh to be our king, to rule as a second Adam and to bless all creation through himself. That when these last enemies are defeated, we will know this complete safety and security that is promised here. In the same way that in Revelation 21, there's this great final battle that then leads, or 20, that then leads into 21, the new heavens and the new earth, we have a same movement here in Ezekiel, this apocalyptic language here in Ezekiel 38 and 39 of this great last battle will move into this amazing final chapters in Ezekiel of heaven, (laughs) of joy and peace and safety and security and all these things that are are part of that. And one of the important things to remember whenever we think about heaven, whenever we think about the final glorified version of the kingdom of God, is that it is a safe place. It is a protected place because the Lord has defeated all of his and our enemies. This picture is given to us in Ezekiel 38. Gog and his allied forces are compared to a cloud. Perhaps some of you, you know, on a big drive, maybe going out to California or something like that, and you get these big expanses of desert, right? And you can see uh, the clouds sometimes overshadowing huge portions of the earth. Right? This great enemy force is pictured like that. This huge cloud, just too many people, too, a hosts of armies, so numerous, they just look like a giant shadow descending, coming in. Terrifying, right? Later in the chapter, we read that Israel will have so many weapons lying around after the Lord defeats the army that they'll have firewood for seven years. Seven years worth of firewood. My brother sometimes goes out and collects firewood with his father-in-law, fills up a couple of trucks and brings it back for the winter. It's a lot of wood. Seven years? And this is, the, but the scriptures say it's not wood that's gone and gathered here and there. It's just lying around. Axes, spears, bows of various kinds. They just kind of go out and pick up the weapons. And amazingly, in this picture that's given here, they're not putting it into an armory. Right? They're not, well, great, now we should keep this stuff to protect ourselves in the future. They just burn it all. They just burn it. Perfectly good, capable weapons. They use it as firewood. That's how safe they are. That's how protected they are. Israel no longer needs to worry about anything or anyone. And not because of their great strength. <laughs> Not because of their amazing uh, armories full of weapons. Not because that uh, they have finally figured out the right nation to ally with. No, simply because their faith is in the Holy One. Their faith is in the Lord. The great I am. This one is the one who has saved them. This is the one who is 
made them, made himself known. It's interesting that Gog, from the land of Magog and those who ally with him in this great coalition, are very willing partners. Right? It is said that the Lord pulls them out. Uh, the language which was uh, used before is, uh, is perhaps a language of pulling a crocodile out of the river. Right? Hooks and grappling things, you know, pulling a monster out. God is going to pull this monster out. He's going to summon them. But this is, of course, exactly what they want. They want to destroy the people, and God will give them over to their desires, but desires that will ultimately destroy them. It's an unjustified attack. Israel is not doing anything wrong. We are told in in chapter 38, verse 13, that they're greedy. They look at this little flock of sheep, and they go, they're successful, and there are goods. They've got acquired livestock, and there's no bars, there's no walls, you just got to go in and take it. And that's what they try to do. But of course, they do not assess truly the power of the Lord, and so his judgment comes upon them. We don't read, interestingly enough, of Israel taking up any arms here, right? Much like the picture in Revelation where fire just comes down from heaven and devours them, here that is included, fire and sulfur, but also, and hailstones and other things, but here the picture uh, is also added of this earthquaking, or an earthquake um, that shakes them. Um, uh, to their deaths. But it's a, it's a picture not only of, of how they die, but of the, the, the world sort of coming apart, right? In Revelation, we read about uh, the skies sort of being rolled back like a scroll and these other kinds of pictures, mountains falling over, uh, the, just the world literally coming, coming apart. It says that when they are destroyed, it is brother against brother, they turn on themselves. This happens a few other times in scriptures where some army comes against Israel and they end up fighting themselves and dying. The work of the Lord simply giving people over to their own lusts and their own desires and ultimately their own feet, defeat. This great plan falls apart completely and Israel's share in it is simply burning the firewood of the weapons and and cleaning up the land. A dark image, uh, for sure, but an image nevertheless of God's judgment and their salvation as they go around burying the dead. This is Israel's part. They simply experience the fruits of God's salvation. They, They have no part in it, really, except as beneficiaries of his love and his protection. These crews go through, first one, uh, one to mark all the dead wherever they see a bone, it is marked, and then another crew to go through and, and bury those. Why? That the land might not be marked with death everywhere. That the land might not be defiled. You see, God always, it's like he thinks of everything. <laughs> he wants purity from every single aspect in every single way. Ian Duguid points out in his really great commentary on Ezekiel that there is perhaps a, a connection here, or at least a reminder of what we just read of the Valley of Dry Bones, a kind of flipped image in a way, where before God causes out of, uh, out of dry bones, out of this totally uh, lifeless form, great army to form, 
Now, out of a great and powerful army, he's able to turn him into bones. The Lord that we serve is the Lord not of our whims and our wishes, but he's the Lord of life and of death. He rules from his great throne and he rules perfectly and he rules in power and he rules surrounded by a mighty, mighty host. And when he brings his salvation about for his people, he brings it about with power and he brings it about with completion. In Romans, Paul talks about creation groaning and longing and waiting for the revelation of the adopted children of God. And it's the way that's what they get here. It's a gruesome image. I, I, I can't deny that. When the birds and the beasts are allowed to have their fill of this great sacrificial feast of all these bodies that are lying everywhere. But I do think there is a way in which God is reminding us yet again that when he comes to save creation, when he comes to save a man and the effect of sin that is shot through all the world, he intends to save the world. Even down to the animals itself, we have pictures of God's, of, well, creation itself groaning and waiting for the adoption of sons. My mind also goes to Jonah. Remember that at the end of Jonah, it reads that there was, God says, would I not pity so many people in the city and, and also much cattle? That's how Jonah ends. A mark about the salvation of, of animals. Man, as God's king of creation, we might say, the pinnacle of it, the, the highest point of it, is still part of it. It's part of his created work, and God intends to do something wonderful, great, a new heavens and a new earth. It's called in Revelation chapter 21, a place in where even the animals have a participation in God's saving work, in God's judgment against evil. I can't say exactly how all of this will play out in time and space. Many people have tried. Many people have tried to identify Gog and um, these various locations with all kinds of places, uh, Germany, Russia, Arabia, um, various places in, in, uh, in the east, uh, um, Lydia, uh, um, the Lydia, a Lydian king, uh, many others. None of them ultimately, ultimately match up because what's going on here is the Lord is speaking in these, 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 uh, these pictures of, of the future. He's speaking in pictures of symbols of what will ultimately come to place. There will be a last day. There will be a day in which the Lord returns and defeats all those who are arrayed against him. In many ways, then, what we see God doing is this. He promises in Hebrews 13 to never leave us and never forsake us. Never. And he does that in two ways. The first way is by delivering us in our lives, in our particular individual lives, from immediate trials. We've all been delivered from immediate trials. Trials of the soul, temptations, doubts, struggles that go on inside of our hearts. And 
Struggles in our bodies and in our lives and our relationships in which we've prayed for deliverance from the Lord and he has given it to us. It's one of the ways that God preserves us. And those little victories, some small and some great, will ultimately land and end or consummate in a great final deliverance. A deliverance from death itself. Sometimes we're just too short-sighted. We think that deliverance is what, was a, is what we really need is the new job or, a, a, or, or um, a rescue from some financial difficulty or, or maybe uh, someone not to persecute us. Those are good things to want and desire, but we set our sights too low sometimes. God desires to deliver us not just from these little things, but ultimately from death And Satan himself, he desires to deliver us from anything and everything that could potentially do us harm, and he will do it. We may die in this life, but it's only the beginning of yet another deliverance. When we suffer and when we die in our our physical bodies, the Lord tells us that we are with him. That's what he said to the thief on the cross, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. Deliverance. Deliverance through faith in the Lord. And one day, all of us will be delivered not only in, our, in the moment of death, but from death itself. Finally, when our bodies rise from the dead in a glorified form, in a form that is forever and worthy of receiving and belonging and living as citizens of that great kingdom. That's what's coming for you. Brothers and sisters, beloved in the Lord, those who belong to the Christ, those who belong to the Messiah, if you belong to the anointed one, then you are anointed ones. If you belong to the one who pours out his Holy Spirit on you, then you have that Holy Spirit. And you are like little Christs, not saviors of the world, but saved in him. Christians, you might call yourselves. It's a blessed thing to be known by him, to be saved by him. But if you are not in Christ, you ought to be afraid, very afraid. For the Lord who sits on the throne will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come to judge and he will not come lightly. He will not stand against any enemy of his. And so the time to repent and believe is now. Don't wait until the last day. Don't wait until the last battle. The time is now. The Lord is patient with us now. The Lord is forbearing with us now. And so when you see your sins, when you see your rebellion, when you feel the embarrassment of the shame for the things that you have done, Flee to him who offers forgiveness, offers salvation, offers safety and security forever. This is the promise that he gives to us, and he fulfills it in little ways in this life. And one day he will fulfill it greatly and finally in that salvation when he returns. That's the day that we await for, the appearing of his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to put all of our faith and hope in you. You who poured out your wrath on the Lord Jesus, who 
suffered and died and uh, cried out about being forsaken, that he might endure our penalty for us and be the sacrifice that might turn away the very wrath of God. We ask that you would help us to trust him and to put our faith in him above anything else, above any power, above any force, above anything high or low, deep or wide. Lord, help us not to trust in ourselves, but to look to you and to know and be assured that when we do, we are perfectly and forever safe that we can depend on you for all that we need, for provision and for protection, for guidance and for grace. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would reassure us of these things and that you would bless us and give us confidence in you that whatever trials we are facing now or whatever trials we may face in the coming week, that we might look to you first and last. We pray this in Jesus' name our Savior. Amen.